This is Future X. It's Joe Hobbs. This is the future of activism. Emma Michelle is a spokesperson at Young Americans for Liberty. She was drawn into activism about eight years ago when she became interested in a France campaign for a seat on her local school board in Oregon. Emma is working on getting people out to vote during this election season, especially focusing on local campaigns. Here's my conversation with Emma Michelle. Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Joe. How about you start us off telling how did you get started being an activist and how did you join Young Americans for Liberty? Yeah, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, which is a very political city. It tends to be a very progressive leaning, very far left city. And I watched a lot of the policies that were put into place and a lot of them did not sit very well with me. Um, They were discouraging businesses and discouraging people from really achieving is what it it was, what it felt like these policies were doing. And at the end of the day, I started to see this. I started to see how this protest culture sort of got out of hand and how people got really swept up into these really extreme movements. And I also saw a far right wing sort of reaction to that, which is something that's very topical because we've even seen this in the last week in Portland where we have the Proud Boys clashing with sort of these Antifa protests. And it's it's really harmed the city that I grew up in and the city that I love. And I watched that while I was sort of in my formative years in high school and even in college and really just thought that I wanted to explore the political process and explore what ideas work and what ideas don't. And I got involved. I got a couple internships and I came out to DC for a while and got super involved in sort of the Liberty movement. And I really liked it because it, it, it combined these few things that I really feel strongly about. And one of those is free markets and the ability for people to, you know, trade freely and to not have the government involved in their transactions. I think that's really important. It allows small business owners to thrive. It keeps corporatism and cronyism at bay. But I also care a lot about people's individual choices regarding their personal lives. So I am very pro. I'm pro LGBT. I'm pro that community being able to do what they would like without the government telling them what they can and can't do with their own their own bodies. And I'm also very, um, very anti-drug war. And I think that if if grown adults want to make decisions for themselves, the government should not be able to tell them that they can't do things as long as they're not harming anyone else. So that's how I sort of found the liberty movement. And I would definitely consider myself a libertarian, which is not the most uh, not the most popular point of view. And there are a lot of people I always like to joke that there's something for everyone to agree with agree with us on and something for everyone to disagree with us on. So that's sort of how I got involved. And obviously, Young Americans for Liberty is a is a very liberty aligned group. So I got involved with them and I started working here about a year ago and I have just loved all the work that we do, getting these young students who sort of feel the same way as we do about things, getting them involved and teaching them a lot of stuff that they may be art learning in classes and getting them plugged in actually to knocking doors on campaigns for candidates who actually share the same beliefs. So sort of a long winding answer to your very simple question there, but it's uh, it all just started with figuring out what I believe. I mean, obviously, libertarians are definitely one of the groups in America that aren't looked on 
as favorably as others. You've got the <laughs> yeah. very Democratic, very Republican, and you kind of just got the libertarians in the back doing their own thing. And it's definitely yeah. something that I feel like recently, especially with a lot of people saying I'm more independent, have started to look mm-hmm. at more. Would you say that this is true numbers wise? Yeah, I mean, we've we've seen the Libertarian Party grow extremely rapidly. It's the fastest growing political party in America. And I think you touched on that a little bit. I think a lot of that comes from discontentment with the two party system. And I think regardless of what someone's background is or maybe what ideology they would uh, prescribe to themselves and their own beliefs, I think a lot of people by and large are really, really fed up with how polarized the parties have become and how self-serving they've become and the machine that's working in DC right now to basically, you know, propagate these these really polarized decisions but also you see the parties work together to do things like pass corporate welfare and all that does is it helps these giant corporations it does not help normal people and we even saw a lot of that baked into the first stimulus bill that came out a lot of that money went straight to these huge businesses and the libertarians find that wrong but also you might go talk to someone who considers themselves a democratic socialist someone who's in ydsa on campus which couldn't be farther from what we believe here at yale But they would actually agree with us on that. And I think there are a lot of issues where libertarians really do align with people of completely different persuasions. And that's why I'm so big on us working together with other people to pass things like criminal justice reform. You know, that's something that the more progressive wing is really solid on. You go look at AOC and you look at the squad and these people who in Congress are raising these really valid concerns. And then you look across the aisle and you see Rand Paul and you see Thomas Massey and Justin Amash who are more on the libertarian side or even in the LP as Justin Amash is. And that's something that I think is the future of policymaking is we need to find a way to get beyond this two-party system and actually pass the real reforms and the real laws that Americans want to see by and large. Criminal justice reform, very popular right now in America. Ending corporate welfare, very popular. But the powerful machine in D.C. doesn't want that to get done. So I think if we want to get past that and we want to get to a place where our democracy represents more of what our people want, it takes that coalition building and it takes that working together with the other side when there is that alignment. So what would you say are some of the big issues that Young Americans for Libertarians are really working on right now? Yeah, we're huge on knocking doors and getting out the vote. So you'll hear me maybe reference Operation Win at the Door. And that is probably the biggest push that Yale has going on right now. We are going to be knocking a million doors by the end of 2020. And we're knocking doors for really solid pro-liberty candidates who want to end the drug war, who want to end qualified immunity for police, who want to really ensure that The government is not getting in the way of private individuals earning a living for themselves. So these are people that we work really hard to find. We make sure that they're going to be a solid candidate. We make sure that they can win. And then our door knockers come in and they advocate for these people to the voters. And we see a really, really good increase in voter turnout when we do that, which is always very exciting. Everyone is being told right now, go register to vote. You know, we just had the National Register to Vote Day. This is sort of in that stripe where we're trying to get these voters who maybe they feel disenfranchised by the parties. Maybe they feel like there's no one that represents them. But we talk to them and we engage with them on issues that they care about, like fixing potholes, improving public schools and those sorts of things. So it really boils down to the local level. And that's the biggest issue that we're working on right now. When you talk about college campuses 
and the uh, the stuff that we do with our students who are in college. A lot of that is based on, you know, like I said earlier, ending corporate welfare, ending crony capitalism so that real capitalism can uh, flourish and help everybody and lift everybody. Also ending the drug war. If you talk to our students, that's one that they're really, really big on because they see the negative impacts that the drug war has had historically. And a lot of people right now are saying, hey, if we had never declared war on drugs, Breonna Taylor may never have been served that arrest warrant and they maybe never would have gone and knocked on her door and she may still be alive today. So these are these are real issues that hit home for not just our students, but for a lot of average Americans. The polling backs this up. The trick is, like I said earlier, getting this through these these two party machines. And uh, and that's that's the real uphill battle that we face. But those are just a couple of the big issues that we're big on. Obviously, along the way, I'm sure there's a lot of backlash. Mm-hmm. If you hear someone say and the drug war, all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, so they're OK with everyone dying off of drugs. <laughs> that's right. obviously going to be some of the reactions. And I mean, how do you kind of combat those reactions? Yeah. At the end of the day, when you go back and you read what the founders said about America as they were building this country and as they were putting together the framework that we still follow today, they were very big on personal responsibility. And what that means is individual people have to take accountability for their actions rather than someone in D.C. or someone in their state government. And freedom is not always the same thing as having complete safety. And I I believe that the freedom to be able to do what you want is much more important than having absolute, total and utter safety all the time. And I think a lot of Americans would agree. Um, The big one that that really disturbs me is the all out war that we've seen waged against marijuana, which obviously the science backs up that it's it's a lot less harmful for people to consume even than alcohol. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's the same argument that ended prohibition. It's that the government does not need to be policing what consenting adults do with their bodies. And I think part of that is with drugs. And obviously, I'm not talking about you know, kids and that sort of thing. Like that's a different conversation. And it's one that I think we need to have. But at the same time, it's it's much more a matter of are we allowing people to have control over their own lives? Or is this something that's being dictated by a faraway legislator in in their state house or in DC? And I think we should always be leaning towards that individual liberty mindset as we're making these laws. So, I mean, obviously, along the way, like I said, there's a lot of backlash. But for you personally, Mm -hmm. is there anything that keeps you going? Um, Do you have family and friends who support you? Do you have like a certain mindset that you use? I I have plenty of things that I disagree with my family on. And there's there's certain issues that we'll, you know, we'll sit around the table when I go back and visit my parents and we'll debate and we'll have a good time. But what really keeps me going is the fact that I know at the end of the day, uh, politics is not everything. And, you know, it's important. It's very important to stay plugged into this process. But it's much, much more important that we see each other as as humans with dignity. And I think that's something that's lacking right now in policy. And you look out at these at these protests and riots and you see these these very different groups sort of clashing with each other and harming each other physically and destroying things. And that makes me really sad because what that shows me is we have a sickness in this country And the sickness is that we cannot put our ideological differences aside enough to see each other as human beings. So what keeps me going is when I can look at someone who completely and utterly disagrees with everything I say 
And I can still see them for who they are, which is a human being with dignity and worth. And I think that's super, super important. I wish that I wish that there was more of that attitude within my field. And I really hope to be part of a change there where we're able to look at each other with respect and dignity. And, you know, I'm sure you go on Twitter, Joe. It's not always not always conducive to that. But I think it's important that we learn to sort of rise above, you know, the little the little clicks and, and cat fights and those sorts of things within politics. Because at the end of the day, we all live in the same country. We all more or less live a similar lifestyle and we need to be able to respect each other. And I, I wish that there was more of that. And again, I'm hoping to be sort of a, a, a catalyst for pushing things in that direction. So, I mean, obviously, just these past couple of months, the political spectrum has been changing a lot. Mm-hmm. How do you see it in, you know, four years time at the next election? Do you think that we'll be leaning a lot more to a third party or do you think we'll still stick with the mostly two party system? I think it would take something really drastic to bring down the two party system. I, I don't even know what that would look like, but I can tell you living in D.C., these parties are very strong. They have a complete stronghold over the political process on both sides. They're extremely involved in primaries, and primaries are something that YAL actually operates in, too. So we see this. We go up against the the Republican establishment mostly all the time because they don't like that we're anti-drug war, and a lot of times they don't like that we're pro-criminal justice reform. But I think it will take either sort of an infiltration of the parties by by these other you know people who, who are able to voice their views and say, hey— I'm I may be right leaning, but I still believe in in social justice and in criminal justice reform and sort of changing those party platforms. But what I think could end up happening is we could have a split between the two parties where we end up with four. This is just a wild prediction, and I think this would take much longer than four years. But I think sometime in the next half a century, we may see like a progressive party and then a Democrat party that's more centrist and more like Joe Biden with the progressive party having more like AOC types, Bernie Sanders types, because the Democratic Party has a lot of those splits as well. It's not just the Republicans. And then on the Republican side, I see a more uh, populist sort of side of the party. You know, maybe that stays the Republican Party or something. And then I see a more liberty side of the Republican Party, or maybe it's called the Libertarian Party. The party grows a lot. But I think in the future, that could be what happens. And I actually think that could be very, very good for our democracy and for our political process, because it would mean that there would be more choices available to people. People would not feel like, hey, every four years, I have this horrible choice to make between these two people, and I don't feel like either of them represents me. And um, I, I think that that could be really good to give more choices to our voters that actually represent what they believe. So that's just my prediction. I don't know if that will actually happen, but I think it could. And it's something that I'm going to be kind of watching out for as these next few years go by. So obviously over the summer, there's been a lot of protests. And what role do you think activism plays in America and the choices we make as Americans? I think everyone has an opportunity in their daily lives to be an activist and to stand up for what they believe in and to explore the ideas that they find most sound and most viable within our our democracy and within legislation. I would encourage people to get involved in their local political process. And that's that's sort of how I even got 
into politics. I, I was helping out with a friend's, you know, race for city council and a friend's race for school board. And I got super fascinated in how that works. And that was sort of like my, my own little start. And it made me care a lot more and it made me a lot better informed about the issues that affected my daily life and my community. And I just think if more people could get plugged in in that way, and honestly, I think people need to put more of an emphasis on, you know, their local and their state politicians than they do their federal politicians. I think there's way too much emphasis that's placed on the president and way too much emphasis on Congress because they've become so powerful that most of the laws have been centralized and are coming from D.C. when in reality, D.C. doesn't know what Oklahoma needs. It doesn't know what California needs. Those Most of the laws in a state should be made by that state. And I, I really believe that that's something that was important to our founders when they created this country. And all of these different states that were sovereign but also answered to D.C., I think the federal bureaucracy has gotten really large. And I believe that if more people got involved on a local and state level in their policymaking, first of all, they're able, they're able to have a much larger impact because it's a smaller system that they're operating in. It's easier to make their voice heard. But secondly, they know the issues that are most important in their own communities. And I think we would see better governance and we would see better legislation that more accurately depicts what people need in their own communities. So that's that's what I think the future of, of activism will be, is people getting more interested in those state and local races and issues. I mean, that obviously brings it back to the argument that even our founders had is who should have the most power? Would it be federal mm-hmm. or state? And then find that even balance, which is, I mean, still, I think, a big issue, especially when you look at, you know, federal dealing of the COVID pandemic and the mm-hmm. arguments between states and even cities and within those states compared to national government, I think it's definitely an issue that needs to be looked at. And what are your thoughts on federal's government response to the pandemic? And also, how should that have been dealt better with? Yeah, I think shutting down the economy was a mistake. I mean, we knew from quite early on that this virus primarily affects the elderly and people with pre-existing conditions. And what I would have really liked to see this country do is rally around those people who are vulnerable and do everything that we possibly could to make sure that they were safe, that they were taken care of, that their needs were being met and that they were not at risk. And I think what we did instead is we kept a lot of people who were healthy at home, inside, not working, not contributing to the economy. And also this has had a huge, huge hit to our nation's mental health. I mean, you look at the problems that that have just skyrocketed and it's sadly, you know, the suicide hotline call numbers have gone just up a crazy amount. And I think that's a real side effect that we've seen from keeping all of these healthy young people who are in the time of their life when they're supposed to be out working and building and doing things, bringing them inside. And also at the same time, it completely tanked the stock market and it made it really hard for a lot of these older folks who rely on those those investments to actually pay their bills because that's where their retirement is. So I think I think the response was backwards, but I think it even more so was backwards on a state level. Um, in a lot of states, my home state of Oregon basically shut down business completely. And it was very, very hard to see a lot of my 
you know, my friends who owned restaurants and businesses trying to figure out how to navigate this and just wondering how they're going to feed their families. And I think that's really unfortunate because a lot of these things could have been done in a way that was obviously safe and following these guidelines, but at the same time, not completely restricting the economy. And I think it's really important that we don't forget you know, the ultimate the ultimate crisis is when people can't afford to feed their families. And with unemployment going up to a just historic high over the last few months, I think that that's been really made clear. And Biden and Trump are both going to need to answer how they want to get the economy back up and running. Because I'll tell you, Joe, there are a lot of people that are still reeling from everything that happened. Even with the reopening happening, um, there are folks whose businesses just will never recover from this. And I think that was the real mistake that was made in the approach. It should have been, let's protect everyone who's vulnerable as much as we possibly can, but let's also make sure that we're allowing people to feed their families because it doesn't matter if we save ourselves from the virus if people are not able to put dinner on the table. And I mean, it has been really difficult because you've got a lot of people who argue everyone should stay inside, we should have shut down everything, and then you've got the complete opposite where everyone Mm -hmm. says everything's perfectly fine, this isn't even real. Um, How do you think, you know, fake information that spreads through especially social media nowadays affects elections and people's opinions? Do you think that maybe there should be regulations to stop there, or do you think that we should just leave that be? My response typically, if the question starts with, should we regulate Typically, my answer will be no, um, because I think the government getting involved in things usually has an adverse effect and doesn't doesn't usually get to the intended outcome. But specific to social media, I think that that would just make the existing firms, so the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Googles, I think it would make them even more powerful. And I am a big fan of competition. I'm a big fan of you know, a true free market where people are able to to enter and exit the market freely. And I think that more regulation would actually keep that from happening. So the more red tape that we put up, the more powerful it makes Facebook, because obviously Facebook can eat the cost of, you know, if there's existing regulation that's ramped up or if there's new rules, they have such a just massive behemoth of a company that they're able to navigate that. But if there's a smaller firm that's trying to provide maybe an alternative to Facebook that maybe puts more of an emphasis on real news or maybe puts, you know, different things on emphasis or it works in a different way or it solves some problems that Facebook has not solved, it's going to make it tougher for them to survive. And that's sort of like I mean, that's just not isolated to social media companies. You even look at when there was a real push to get a national $15 an hour minimum wage. One of the largest proponents of that was Walmart because they understood we are a large enough company. We can eat the cost of that and still survive. But what it will do is it will put all of our competitors out of business. So Walmart actually spent a lot of money lobbying for that $15 an hour minimum wage because they knew that a lot of their smaller competitors, the mom and pop stores, would not be able to afford to pay their employees that much and they would have to close down. So I think in general, that's a very, very long answer to what you're asking here. But in general, I think regulations do not typically have the outcomes that are intended. And I think a lot of times people mean well, they go in and they want to fix things. 
But in the, at the end of the day, if a company is failing, if a company is failing to deliver its customers the product that they need, the company will meet its own end there. And, you know, it's really important that we're not putting up more red tape that would prevent a competitor from coming in and fixing a problem that Facebook is failing to fix. So just staying along this line a little, do you also believe that government shouldn't take any action on monopolies and instead leave the free market to deal with that? I think that the government has a lot of stuff in place right now that encourages monopolies. And I obviously am not in favor of, you know, a few large companies running the world and running our country. But I think if we had a true free market, because let's just be honest, right now we don't. The amount of regulations that are in place for businesses and the amount of red tape and the amount of corporate welfare that goes to these giant companies like Walmart, for example, it's it's not a free market. And it's become sort of like this oligarchy where only the really, really large businesses can benefit from these rules. And it makes it so hard for these other smaller companies that maybe offer a better product or that maybe are are higher quality, it makes it really difficult for them to actually survive. So my answer to you is no, I'm not in favor of the government getting involved in the free market and breaking these, these companies up. But I'm also not in favor of the amount of corporate welfare and cronyism that we have in this country. And I think that's what the real problem is. And that's what's making these large companies so impossible to compete with. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, so I'm just going to kind of close out with a couple last questions. So first one would be, what advice do you have for anyone who wants to become an activist and something may be stopping them? Yeah, I think, you know, the best thing you can do is figure out which issues are, are affecting your own community and figure out how you want to address those. And maybe that's you start going to your city council meetings. They can be kind of boring and kind of stuffy. But there's a lot of important stuff that happens there or figure out who your state rep is and figure out what you think about them. Maybe they don't really represent the way you feel and maybe it's good to start being a little more informed about who those people are so that when you go to vote and, you know, maybe you know who you want for president. Most people are starting to figure that out by now, but maybe you don't know who else is down that ticket. Figure out who else is on the ticket and just read up on them. Use use a site like Ballotpedia is awesome. Great way to learn about candidates. Figure out what you believe, and then make sure that you're voting for people that actually back that up. So do your own research on the candidates. Don't trust the media to do it for you. Don't trust Twitter or Facebook to do it for you. You've got to find the information yourself. So that's that's my step one. I would also say, you know, if you find yourself getting really fired up, there are a lot of groups out there that you can get involved with, whether you're a libertarian like me or maybe you're of a different political persuasion. There are some really, really good ways that you can get involved and these. These people always need volunteers. So start researching groups that are operating in your community. And if there aren't any, maybe you can start one. There's always, always going to be a need for people who care enough about these issues to actually get involved, because that's the only way that our government is going to start reflecting what we believe as we the people is if we get involved. Otherwise, the parties are going to continue to run things for us. They're going to continue to bowl over good candidates and good legislation in favor of just allowing their parties to grow and become more corrupt and more powerful. So how can our listeners learn more about Young Americans for Liberty and possibly even join? Well, our website is yaliberty.org. And if you're interested in learning more about what we're doing, you can head there. If you're interested in getting a paid job to knock doors for Liberty candidates, maybe you're of the same persuasion that I am and you believe the government needs to be a lot smaller, you can get involved there. You can just learn more about Liberty and the ideas that we believe in. 
And you can check us out on social media. We're at YA Liberty on all platforms. We would love to hear from you. And even if you disagreed with some of the stuff I'm saying today, I would love if you could reach out to me. My handle on Twitter is at Emma underscore Michelle. That's M-E-S-H-E-L-L. I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to start a conversation. Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. It was great talking to you. Yes, thank you so much, Joe. Really appreciate you having me on. Listen to the future of activism on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Transcripts and show notes are posted to futurex.fm. We're part of the Future X Podcast Network. I'm Joe Hobbs.